Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Jack. I'm guessing it's Spirko, Spirko, Spirko. There's a Spirko, bunch of Spirko. like I got Chuck in a spear. Okay. Um, have you done that before? I mean, you're kind of an outdoorsman. Uh, a little bit. Played around with Adelotl. Oh, yeah. I saw somebody. My buddy, Brendan Liam, actually sent me a video of a guy stalking up to an elk. Um, and from about maybe 20, 30 meters away uh, over the crest of a hill, got a uh, just right through the back of the spine, got one of these bad boys. And that's not an easy animal to kill in the first place, much less with a fucking no. spear. No. There's like some modern atlatls too, where it's like a long mm. arrow, like using carbon fiber, but it's old school atlatl that throws it. Those are pretty impressive. I mean, that's what we're not here to talk about, but they are. Yeah, yeah, cool. no, they are impressive. Um, <clears throat> so let's get to what we are here to talk about. Um, tell me about, so, so you, you've got a couple of things going on, a couple of shows, one called permit ethos that I want to get into first or, uh, later, but tell me first about your main show. So just real quick, permit ethos is a thing. It's not really a show. Okay. Um, it was, it's a concept that we're revisiting now. The show itself is called the survival podcast. Mm -hmm. We've been around, we just celebrated our 15th uh, year anniversary. We've been around since 2008, uh, two-time podcast of the year award winner. Uh, we cover self-reliance, self-sufficiency, independence, and liberty. Uh, we've done just over 3,300 episodes at this point. And so if there's anything anybody's interested in, uh, in that world, we probably have covered it innumerable times. Sure, yeah. I, I think uh, people hear the word survivalist and they think of, uh, you know, some lunatic living in the woods, um, which is, you know, how is that a lunatic to be honest considering how things are going these days but um i think primarily what your show has been about over the years is how to insulate yourself from you know bullshit whether it's yeah. you know attacks on liberty attacks on supply chains and things like that like what are you going to do if the power goes out is a good question to ask yourself correct well we we call it modern survivalism and we could also call it lifestyle design um, but when I launched the show in 2008, it was just a much better hook to call it survival than lifestyle design. Mm -hmm. um, as far as a modern survival take, though, it was something that I, I kind of put together back then to, to point out that we do not need to throw away all modern technology, all modern conveniences to build redundancy and resiliency in our life. So if you think back to when you were a kid in school, they took your calculator away, they taught you how to do math, and mm -hmm. once you knew how to do the basic functions of math, they gave you your calculator back. So when it comes to navigation, it's great to know how to orient with a, a compass and a map, but it doesn't mean I would never use a GPS. So we're kind of bringing those two worlds together. And as we're building this, this lifestyle design, resiliency, which is preparedness, has got to be part of it because there will be failures. There will be setbacks. There, there's no way you're getting through life on a straight linear course to exactly where you plan to be and get there exactly when you plan to get there. It just doesn't happen. So any good designed system has places in it where you build in re resiliency and redundancy, not if failure happens, but when failure occurs. So a lot of people are destroyed financially just because they have no they have no battery, no financial battery. So, you know, we talk about, you know, lights going out, having something like a generator and a battery bank or solar panels or something like that. So you get through a power outage. But one of my principles that everything in life that's representative uh, uh, by energy is a battery uh, of some sort. I have water catchment tanks, for instance, mm -hmm. on my outbuildings because they have metal 
roofs. And that means they get good, clean water off of those roofs. And that's a water battery mm. or an economic battery. So what we're trying to do is build as many versions of batteries into people's lives as possible, including creating income streams that are not dependent on a J-O-B, right? This is just a lot of it is really what I learned from my grandparents who were uh, folks who grew up through the, the Great Depression and, and, and part of the World War II generation. They called it common sense. Uh, but as, as so many people say now, common sense is no longer common. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. So uh, a lot of people, when they think about, I, I think financial resilience might be the most difficult for people to wrap their heads around. Like if, uh, for example, let's say worst case scenario, the financial system collapses or there's a CBDC uh, that, that finally passes through and, and you don't want to participate in that horse shit. Um, you know, at the, I, I, one of the things I really like to do is to reduce a problem down to its lowest possible level. Like it's not just about how can I make money in this new environment or in this disrupted environment. It's about what is it exactly that money purchases for me that I need and how can I get those things in ways that don't necessarily involve traditional currency, right? Uh, like yeah. gathering your own water is one of those ways. Um, having, uh, you know, livestock or something like that, although it does cost money to do that kind of stuff if the financial system collapses, you know, that's a different kind of situation, obviously. Um, yeah. So I wonder from your perspective, since you've been doing this for so long, um, what are ways that people can, let, let's say the financial system collapses in the U S what, what, what do people do? Well, like, what would you, what would be the first thing? And obviously, <laughs> you know, it's not a good idea to start reacting once things go wrong, by the way, no. you, you should be prepared uh, first, but I guess, how do people insulate themselves from financial systems going wrong. I mean, you can certainly it's a good idea to have secondary and tertiary income streams, but if the money yeah. is if the money becomes valueless, I think that's a problem that uh, we might see in some time in our lifetime. And I wonder from your perspective how you might handle that. So let's start out with understanding the mechanisms of control of society. So Ki Henry Kissinger once said, if you control the food, you control the people. Mm -hmm. If you control the energy, you can control a continent. And if you control the money, you can control the world. And so their goal is to end up with money as a control mechanism, because then you have full and total control. And it's not so much as the money becoming worthless as what something like a CBDC enables, which is the ability for them to track every single thing that everybody does in real time with their money and to do things like say, well, you know what? We think your blood pressure is a little bit too high. You don't need to be buying beef or we're going to mm -hmm. put in a, like they literally, because everything will revolve around basically a wallet can control what can and cannot come in and out of that wallet and for what purpose. So that's, that's kind of a separate thing from like a financial implosion, which I do believe we're headed for. I don't think it'll look a lot like, a, like the movies would make it out to be like, it's all here one day and all gone the next. Right. I think what you're seeing is, is an accelerated um, destruction of the U.S. dollar. The dollar definitely in danger uh, of losing world, the world reserve status. And I think that's pretty much even been accepted by the people that are the proponents of keeping the dollar the way that it is. Um, how it looks for us is exactly what you said, that we got to start out with, well, what do you buy with money? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and food and shelter are two of your biggest. So having property that you can easily, easily service debt on would be one thing. And then putting that property to work for you. So most people consider their home an asset, but most people's homes are not assets. They're extreme liabilities. Mm -hmm. That's why we had the housing crisis in 07, 08. 
And we're headed right for it again, because literally everything that they did back then, they've redone. They changed the name on default swaps is all they did. And that's that's all headed like for hell in a handbasket. So we start out with building those redundancies into our lives. Now, I will tell you flat out, one of the least uh, popular things that I talk about among my own audience is Bitcoin. And I do see that as one of the only viable alternatives that we have right now. And I'm also a big fan of precious metals, silver and gold. And I don't recommend one over the other. I recommend both. And the reason I recommend Bitcoin is let's say you have something I want. And I'm not sure what state you're in, but I'm in Texas, right? Mm -hmm. And and I need to pay you, and then you're going to send it to me. Well, doing that with silver and gold is incredibly cumbersome, and it absolutely requires a third party. So I look at that as one of your defensive strategies, right, is having these alternative forms of currencies. But then you also have to start thinking differently about everything. So what can you do is a value set. So what are your skill sets, both hard and soft skill sets? And these can be like directly applicable to providing for yourself, such as knowing how to garden, knowing how to compost, knowing how to care for livestock, knowing how to feed your livestock without a feed store. All of that's important, but it can also be hard skills or soft skills that you can sell to others versus having a job. Because no matter what happens, no matter how bad everything gets, what it comes down to is when there are problems, there are opportunities. And so if you're the kind of person that can fix other people's problems, you're always in demand. And the more problems there are, actually the more in demand you become. Now there are kind of like the apocalyptic end of the world situations. And I think in that scenario, exactly how you're gonna pay for something will be one of the least of your problems. Finding a thing you can even make a deal with mm. at that point uh, is, is gonna be a bigger problem. However, I don't, I don't see things quite going that way unless we get stupid enough to start throwing nuclear bombs at each other. Sure, yeah. Uh, I, I really don't. I think even a complete financial meltdown will be seen by the elite as an opportunity to implement the type of stuff we were talking about earlier. Mm. And they'll do what empires have always done as they're collapsing. They will rebase the currency. Mm. And, they will, and the other thing I think that's going to happen now is there is a move to try to further dollarize the world even as we lose reserve status. In, and think of it into the retail segment. So, I mean, the average person walking around, uh, they have these things in the crypto space, which I'm no fan of, called stable coins linked to the dollar. Mm -hmm. If you, And I think the plan is honestly to pull those in under FDIC and normalize them, effectively creating a global dollar that you know a person with a cell phone in Africa can hold and attempt to forestall this. I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm saying this is the attempt to forestall mm -hmm. it by distributing dollars further out into the world. Because one of the problems we have right now economically is dollars being repatriated. All this money that's spread out, a lot of it's coming home. That's agonizing inflation. So it would be an inflation diffusion for a time, and it's another can kick. I don't think I'm saying it's a solution, but I think we have serious, serious problems right mm -hmm. now. I mean, the more I look at it, the worse it gets. Sure, yeah. I mean, and it's, and it's uh, you know, to be honest, I see the... Um the partial collapse and then a reconstitution by an elite class as probably at least from my perspective a worse option than just a complete collapse in general because um i i can handle living out in the woods for a while i'm not too concerned about that um but there are a lot of people who can't I, there's a big push lately <clears throat> into um homesteading and things like that and i think that's a good thing you know i mean it's it's certainly good that people are as you said before taking control of 
what they thought was an asset that really wasn't, you know, and turning uh, something that's a liability into something that's not just making money for them, but providing the things that money provide. But not everyone's going to be able to be a homesteader. Not everyone these days is going to have the skills or aptitude for that sort of thing. Um, and I don't think we've done enough in the survivalist or whatever community you want to call it um, to imagine what these problematic futures might look like in practical terms and what roles from peep from human beings that are in those societies might need in the smaller communities that will, uh, you know, have to develop. Um, like in military terms, we might call it a division of labor, right? There's certain things that need to get done, like water purification, uh, field medicine, shit like that, that seems to get brushed aside. I know that a lot of people like yourself, Mike Glover, who are in the survivors community are pushing things like field medicine and stuff and just understanding mm -hmm. how to treat trauma and things like that. But you know, it, it does seem to be kind of an afterthought. Like we, we have this top level grasp of what it might look like. Like, oh, well, me and my family will be okay. Well, no, you won't. Not if all the other families are starving because they're all going to turn inward and come fuck your shit up, dude. I mean, yeah. as, as, tough, yeah. as tough as I'd like to think I am, I'm not fighting off an entire army by myself. So, well, you know, are you gonna are you gonna fight off the poor little old lady next door that's starving? Right, right. No. You're not fighting no. her off. Like we have a certain obligation, I believe, to our to our our, our fellow citizens. Hundred percent, yeah. To be there to help them out. But there's a lot to unpack in that. So, for instance, there is this attitude, especially a lot of uh, among former military, as I am. Mm -hmm. uh, I served in the United States Army Airborne back way way back, long long time ago. What unit were you in? Uh, I was with the uh, the 508th in Panama for a while. Mm. I also ended up deployed to an engineering unit. I was a mechanic, mm. but uh, was an airborne soldier mechanic. Jump out of the airplane with a toolbox, I guess. Oh, yeah. I jumped out with a rifle, but I, I yeah, guess it's yeah, the same. That's yeah. a tool. No, really. I'm just you could throw on that because that's a joke you always got. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is there's a lot of military guys that they think they, I'll be all right. I can go live in the woods like you said or whatever. Mm. But you got to frame a context in this when everybody decides that's their solution. Mm. So when I was a kid, I was piddling through my grandfather's workshop and I found these rat traps. And I mean, you could have beat somebody to death. They were made with oak. They were from the 30s mm -hmm. and they had a big hole drilled in them. And I went to him. I said, what's, what's with the hole? He said, they're not uh, rat traps, them squirrel traps, boy. <laughs> and I said, well, how's that work? He said, well, you, you, you take a, a nail or a screw and you screw it to a tree and you, you bait it with peanut butter and you catch a squirrel. And he said, we used to do that during depression. And I said, well, how'd it work? He said, pretty good for about two years. Right. So as soon as you start to put pressure on those systems at a level that we've honestly not done in a very long time, mm -hmm. it's been a long time since people really have lived off uh, the land. And as growing up, I was part of a poor family. We went hunting for food. I mean, it was literally part of our, our meat budget every year. Like you get your little sister a, a deer tag, even if she doesn't hunt, she sleeps in the truck. And when somebody else shoots a deer, you put her tag on it. I mean, that's, and when you've lived like that, you know, the idea that, well, I'll just feed myself and take care of myself and fight people off. It doesn't really work in the real world. We're mm -hmm. talking, we have a country with 330 plus million people in it. So you're talking about putting a stress on things really, really quick in the natural world and in the, the retail space. Like there's, there's literally people that call themselves preppers and like, I got a gun. I'm going to bug out to Walmart. Yeah, dude, you're the only one that thought of that. You're the only one that freaking thought of that. No one else will be there. You just take whatever you want. And everybody will let you because you have a gun. Right. And so we have to realize that one fighting in this situation can, I mean, think about what happened with the BLM riots. Uh, that couple in uh, St. Louis, that they were going to get their house destroyed. So they pulled out their guns. They didn't shoot anybody. And they like when it's over, then what? They still ended up prosecuted. 
Uh, they did all they could to put that kid Kyle Rittenhouse into prison for the you know, rest of his life if they would have had their way. So this idea that just because systems fail, that law enforcement will go away is 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 counterproductive to planning. And what you have to accept is we're heading into a space where law enforcement can't do much for you, but they can do something to you. Sure. And, and I don't mean to attack the individual cop that's trying his best, but the system's designed to make that the result. We've seen this over and over again. Literally, people that are riding, burning stuff down are protected, and people that try to stand up for their own property are attacked. To think that that would go away because the problem got worse is kind of foolish. It is, yeah, certainly. Um, and, you know, the a message I try to give people all the time about, because, you know, I, I think modern conservatism is uh, not exactly conservative, right? I mean, it's just, no. uh, it's complete nonsense now. But people seem to be drifting more towards things like libertarianism, even on the extreme side to anarcho-capitalism, which I'm not, I, I you know, whatever, that's fine with me. But um, <clears throat> it is... As I move aside and... Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the best... I mean, the, the only solution, we are biologically programmed with things like empathy for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because it, like, it's hard to watch somebody else struggle around you without going over and trying to help them. And the reason for it is because, you know, we need each other to survive, right? We need the, we need to, we need the protection of and the labor of other people combined with our, you know, effort to, to be successful as human beings. Um, and this is, this is the case in the animal kingdom as well. There's symbiosis, not even between, you know, uh, uh, in between animals of a similar type, but even between, you know, interspecies, uh, mm -hmm. symbiosis and building, building small communities. I, I tell people this a lot. If you want the government out of your life, find problems in your local area that the government is solving and go solve them yourself. Don't give those mm -hmm. assholes any reason to show up in the first place, because if they do, they're going to take over everything. And you're, and they're not, when, when they send you the bill for it, it's not going to be a line item bill. It's going to be like, Hey, and there's, it's also not going to be fucking optional. It's going to be, Hey, yeah. it costs this much to do this. Here's the bill. And if you don't pay it, you're going to jail. And you're like, all right, cool. Well, that's not really what I signed up for. Um, but yeah. you know, the only way to insulate yourself from stuff like that, is to solve the problem before they can get there and do it, you know? Yeah, here's an example. Many years ago, but this is so far back before I started my show, I had a good friend named Hal, the fishing guide buddy of mine, and he had a problem with his neighbor's fence being all jacked up, so he called code enforcement on him. I'm like, why the hell did you do that? You know, I talked to him, he won't fix it. Oh, what he should have done him was go over and find out why and see if he could help the guy, because what happened is when the code enforcement dude came out, he went up and down the whole block looking for anything he could write up to justify his existence. And my buddy who made the phone call ended up the most adversely affected over some some issue with an overhang and zoning and crap and ended up spending a bunch of money to tear something down that had been there for 15 years, which was completely ridiculous. But he brought it on himself by inviting the viper into the nest, mm -hmm. right? That's what the state is. The state's a viper, when, especially when you talk about bureaucrats and you're bringing those guys in. So yeah, you got to solve your own problems, especially conflict resolution. This is something that we have been conditioned since birth to think that there are certain things only the state can do, and conflict resolution is one of those. I've been in business since the, the mid-90s, 
And I always, when I have a contract, write into the contract or have written into the contract a provision for when there is a conflict, uh, private arbitration. And then, and that's non-binding. And the secondary is a binding arbitration. And then the state is only involved if the binding arbitration is not honored by the party that lost. We've never had to go to binding arbitration. I've been to non-binding arbitration twice. And it's amazing what happens when you take a third party that's not part of the system, who actually wants to resolve the situation, present a viable solution, and both parties kind of go grow up and go, yeah, that works. So we have to be doing that. Now, you also hit on it with community. This is one of the most important things, and it's a core value that we teach at the Survival Podcast. It's a massive core value. And we have a huge community. We have about 250,000 people that listen to the audio versions of the podcast uh, every week. And, and that's a great blessing. But what's more powerful is the smaller communities and sub-communities around it that might be a few thousand to a few hundred people. Mm-hmm. And there, it's an amazing synergy. And, and it's people also basically saying, this is what I have of value to offer and this is what I need. And creating these, you know, call them barter networks, call them freedom cells, call them whatever you want. But knowing who you can rely on and who you can count on before you have to and having a pre-existing relationship of working with each other, you know you can trust the person in a bad situation because they've earned your trust in a good time. You know, if you can call what's going on right now a good time. And, you know, I, 10 years from now, we may look back at this and say that was like a day at Disneyland before that sucked. I mean, we may, we may long for uh, the early 2020s again, as crazy as it's been, because there are some... There's some real underlying problems that nobody is looking for a solution to, mm-hmm. at least anybody with any power to solve that. You know, this craziness with trying to provoke two two nuclear powers into a war, there's no good that comes from that. Prolonging a war, no matter what, you know, what side you fall on in that. Um, Lao Tzu said no, no nation has ever benefited from a, a lo- prolonged war. Mm. And that's just as true today as it was thousands of years ago. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's <clears throat> so modern survivalism is kind of defined by this idea that we're ready to go back to map and compass, but let's try to use the GPS if we can, right? Even when that would things, be one way to put it. Yeah. Even when things yeah. go tits up, let's try to maintain the infrastructure, you know, to to be able to continue to use these things. Um, let, let's use the new way when it makes sense, I guess. Uh, community connection is one that I want to talk about because. The ability to solve these problems back in the day, let's say you were on um, a wildlife commission or something up in Montana, for example, right? You have to show up once a week or once a month. And at the time, you had to ride your fucking horse in, uh, you know, and it might take two days to get there. So once a month, you know, four to five days out of your month is spent just on traveling to and attending this meeting to decide how things are going. Um, we don't have to do that anymore. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to drive in your car to go there. You can just use Zoom and have a, a community in your neighborhood. Uh, and to be honest, I'm surprised that nobody like yourself or Glover or a combination of you guys has come up with an app specifically for this, where people link up inside of communities based on zip code or whatever it is and have conversations about, hey, what happens if um, our water, if we go into a boil water notice or what happens if uh, the energy grid here where I'm in Texas too, we're in Austin. What happens if it's hot as fuck, which it is, and the energy grid yeah. fails because these assholes refuse to repair it? You know, what, what do we do? And, and, and that conversation should be centered around how do we take care of old people who can't take care of themselves? And then how do we make sure that kids are getting taken care of and people who are hungry and shit like that aren't dying needlessly because infrastructure failed us? Um, you don't have to even leave your house. You don't even have to put on pants 
to have this meeting anymore. You don't even have to yeah. actually attend a meeting. It could be a literal message board where you can respond whenever you're able to. You can make plans and insulate your community from bullshit. So there's there's a lot already being done with that, but there's no like the preparedness app or something. There was an app that was basically designed to do exactly this and some other things called Cell 411, and it just never really took off. Some people got really excited about it, but it didn't really it didn't really catch fire. Um, a lot of preppers, by the very nature of technology, are suspicious of technology. Mm -hmm. So they would prefer to do something like creating an anonymous signal or telegram group or something mm -hmm. like that to do this type of thing because it doesn't stick out as the place where everybody is. They're kind of blending in like, you know, like in the old days, I think it was John Dillinger said, you rob the bank because that's where the money is and you hide in the city because that's where all the people are. Mm -hmm. You hide out in the middle of nowhere. Someone's like, who is this dude, right? So that, that's been going on for a long time. Some of us run our own uh server technology i i work with a company called start nine and i run a server called an embassy from them and that allows me to create uh end-to-end -end fully encrypted instant messaging you don't you can't crack it because you can't find it first of all mm. um and the only way you get in it is if you're in by invitation so we have networks set up like that we have ham radio operators now that's public but there's a lot you can play with within the bands of ham and, and, and not being so easily seen. But what's most powerful generally is go talk to your neighbors and know your neighbors. Because if you start going out, especially right now, and telling people we need to put together a prepper group, they're going to either think you're crazy or a fed or both, right? <laughs> you know, so you talk to your neighbors and you get to know them and you share as much with them about this as you gauge over time. So I'm saying lead with the relationship. Mm -hmm. And again, Back to where I grew up, you know, and it's not that, I'm talking about the 80s here. Um, that was just the way everybody was. I mean, I grew up in a town, everybody knew everybody. You could rely on anybody. You know, if, if somebody was in need, we just helped them. And I'd love to tell you that that place, just because of its geography and its history, is still that way. It's not. It's northeastern United States, Pennsylvania coal region. It is completely destroyed, you know, by heroin and, and, and meth. Uh, like so many places. And so that's been lost, but that's what we need to be rebuilding. I also have a friend named John Bush and he's put together a thing called freedom cells. And, and it's exactly that you form this kind of tight knit group of people that may not be neighbors, but they're geographically close mm. to each other. And then these groups federate with other groups. That's not my thing. I kind of do more what I just said before that, but it works really well for a lot of people as well. So there's plenty of means of communications and preppers, libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, that this whole eclectic group tend to not want to be told you need to do things this way. Mm. So it's more let's, in, let's inspire the connection and then let people choose their own mechanism. Uh, what I talked about with the uh, the embassy server and having the, the private chat stuff, to me, that's a defense. And I, I'm not opposed to AI, but I understand the risk of it. Mm -hmm. That's a defense right there against AI in of itself, because that way, if I clone you, your voice and then, you know, tap, tell your parents you're locked up in jail or something, um, if they hit you with that that messaging app that no one else could possibly be on, then they, they can confirm that it's really you on the other end of it or so we need to be thinking about that too like mm. these deep fakes are only going to get worse yeah my here's my concern like this I, I think in broader politics forget about survivalism but broader sure. politics and the way that the overton window has moved so far to the left is primarily due um because you know 
the left is is always going to bend authoritarian and because the their positions are ridiculous and the only way to get people to uh uh you know the only way to get people to believe it is to force them to believe it frankly but there's also the laissez-faire attitude from the conservative and libertarian side where it's like live and let live you do what you want to do and i you know in principle i agree with that but i do think it's a bit naive to think that we're just going to be able to go to sleep at the wheel and hope for the best and things are all going to work out the right way uh, and my concern is in the survivalist context that the ordinary person who's not going to be interested in this kind of stuff and who we are going to need in these scenarios and the reason we need them is because if we don't put them to work then the government will the state will mm-hmm. and they become collaborators right um, and we won't have time to catch them up to niche technology and all the you know digital smoke signals that we use to communicate like that and those people are going to be lost and and uh, that that is a, of great concern to me like i understand the need for an anonymity and privacy and shit like that i also understand the uh the urge to be anonymous and private because i don't yeah uh, i feel that way myself but we're living I, th- I feel like we're living in a bit of a fantasy world if we think that the very small minority of people who are actually taking this shit seriously right now are going to be able to educate on the fly like that and, and, and you know, pull all these people into that community when things are going fucking crazy. This episode of Citizen is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee Company. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran operated and supports America's military, law enforcement, and first responders. Get premium coffee delivered every month. Choose your favorite roasts, rounds, and delivery schedule anytime you like. Members also get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts. The best value you're going to get from Black Rifle Coffee is the coffee club. As again, you can choose the roast, whether you're like light, dark, or medium. You can choose the texture. You can choose whether you want uh, ground coffee, whether you want to grind it yourself and get whole bean, or if you use a Keurig and you want the coffee rounds and the delivery schedule with a wide uh, array of options for that. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. So go to blackriflecoffee.com, sign up for the coffee club, use the code CITIZEN and get 20% off your first order. This episode of Citizen is also brought to you by ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Right now, Ghostbed is offering 40% off Ghostbed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% 30% off if you use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. If you get the uh, 40% off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down 0% financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months at five years, uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you. Works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinker bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best. The mattress protector, the weighted blanket. They have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinker bros. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. This episode is also brought to you by First Form. Firstform.com forward slash drinking bros. The product they really want you using is the micro factor. It's a complete daily nutrient pack. Now, what's in it? Antioxidants, CoQ10, great for heart health, multivitamins, uh, greens and reds, which is to say fruits and veggies, then EFA, which is to say 
fats that you need. And then they got a probiotic in there as well. It's an easy little packet. You just dump it all in your fucking mouth and swallow, uh, probably with some liquid, preferably water. Um, they got all kinds of other great products as well. Uh, talking about those meat sticks, the breakfast sausage meat stick is the best thing I've ever had in my life. And of course, they have energy drinks. They've got all kinds of stuff over there. They got great protein. The best supplements on the market. If you spend over 75 bucks, you're going to get free shipping. So go to firstform.com forward slash Drake Bros and get those deals. Uh, I, I hate to tell you, it's not going to change. It's not going to get much better. Mm. There's only a certain type of person who's even open to the fact that you mean life just isn't going to be fine and I need to be prepared. I mean, I've been evangelizing this for you know a decade and mm. a half at this point, and there are the unreachable. And if we get into the kind of scenarios you're talking about, we're going to have to handle it like a triage. So when you triage a, a mass casualty, you're tagging people like, this dude's dead, this dude's going to die, this person needs immediate help, and this person can walk to get help themselves. would be a basic way you'd triage a mass casualty. Ambulatory, yeah. Right. So now what we're going to have to do in triage will be a different form of triage. Who's willing? Who's who, like you're going to have to quickly identify the people that can improve your position by working with them. But they're also open to actually doing something for themselves. And as we've been talking about, the time to really start that process is now. And it may be that you're not going to get your next door neighbor. They got two houses over or down the road on board fully today but having that existing relationship and kind of gauging like you know i got one guy in my neighborhood that i would i would really worry about being a problem in that situation but i've got great relationships with everybody else and we kind of know he would be the problem and some of those people know exactly what i do and what i'm all about some just know me as jack the guy with the big garden in the backyard Mm. and and that has to be individually done there is no there is no way to fix the problem we have, and all you have to do is look at history. All this stuff we think of as new, the technology changes, the way we view it changes, the way we read about it or consume information changes. All this stuff has happened before and all over the world. Uh, when I started digging into ancient history here in, in the Americas, uh, you know, prior to Columbus, like the dramas that went down mm-hmm. fighting for empire and stuff within the Aztecs and the Incas and the Altecs and all it's just as crazy as all the stuff Shakespeare wrote about with the Romans. Mm-hmm. Like there is nothing really new under the sun except technology. Right. And, but they do the same thing with technology. They attempt to gain greater control. And eventually because bureaucracies are inept by nature, whatever they do starts to fall apart. And then, you know, falling apart looks different, but the same, right? Tommy Chonks had that movie. Remember it's the same, but different, man. Mm-hmm. And that's that's literally what you know. You're looking just what history will rhyme, and what will it look like this time? Does it, do, you know, empires in decline like to start wars because nothing unites a country or an empire like a common enemy, and we have to go to war with them? The you know, starting a war with China is that tenable? Two nuclear powers like that, you know, that's that stalemate of not going to war with other nuclear powers except through proxies, both directions has kept us in a relative peace for over 70 years uh does that hold i don't know yeah i hope so right but you know hope doesn't you know say hope floats but so do turds yeah 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 (laughs) yeah it's to your point about uh have you ever read the master switch by tim Wu? no i i you should read it It, it's it's so so he basically uh catalogs all through human human history whenever there's uh Whenever there's some new technology, whatever it happens to be, but particularly when it is some, uh, when it 
is a modality of communication of some sort or another. What happens is the, the aristocratic class or the empire involved tries to monopolize or make it into a cartel so they can control it, right? So think sure. about telecommunications, for example. That's pretty easy to see exactly how that happened. Uh, the internet, but before that, the printing press. Like anytime any of this stuff has happened, uh, the the government, the state, will try to capture it, right? And then, and then, uh, if not turn it against the citizenry, certainly use it to control them and things like that. That's kind of the the uh, what the book is all about. You should you should definitely check it out. It's a good one. But it definitely resonates. I mean, here's here's a little thing people don't know on that. Uh, the Telecommunications Act forbids the encryption of voice. Mm. But it does not forbid the encryption of data. And so you start getting into a world that I call statist jujitsu. The state has powers and the state has rules, and rules are made to be both raped and broken. And so using data as a means of communication with private comms is like all we have because it's completely legal for us to encrypt data. And even if it wasn't, go do something about it. Right? Like, if you want to spend the next six months to brute force the fact that I sent my my aunt a picture of a cat yeah go ahead because i believe in encrypting everything all the time mm. like by default you know i do get people to go too far with it they're like but you're you i use you're using zoom i use Streamyard. what about security mm. i'm like i am producing public content yeah this is not, this is public I'm on not, purpose but and you so you have to be careful that you don't go into like call the bad place and yeah, i find yeah, that yeah. people yeah. in my space they either get very pragmatic after being in it for a while or they go to the bad place and, you know, everything's hysterical. And every time mm. they send an email, everything's in all caps. And you're like, dude, if you don't have a medical marijuana card, maybe you need one. You need to chill out. <laughs> I have a, you know, a very good former friend that we don't really associate with because he's gone too far to the bad place. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. He was one of the best teachers in this space that I've ever met. I'm including myself. And he, especially COVID broke him. He went freaking Looney Tune land after COVID. Mm. And uh, we, you can't let yourself go there either. In the end, there has to be a little bit of fatalism. I, back during the beginning of the show, I would say, you know, I could get hit by a gravel truck. Yeah. And I can't sit around and not go anywhere because I would get hit by a gravel truck. The reason I said that is between my house and the office I had at the time was a quarry. And there were gravel trucks back and forth all the time. And every time you went by one of them, you're like, that thing doesn't even have a suspension. If it hits me, I'm just a bump, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we do have to have some level of, we can't plan for everything. And this is why when people say, well, what are you preparing for? And I'm like, to deal without systems of support. That's the entire answer. I'm not preparing for a financial collapse. I'm not preparing for a corona mass ejection mm. or a nuclear war. I don't care what causes a disruption in services. A few years ago when we were living in, Ar I guess it's 12 years ago now, we were living in Arkansas, we went without power for nine days in the middle of an ice storm around Christmas time. And we had a generator and we had propane redundant heat and all. And when they finally de-iced enough that our neighbors could get down the mountain to talk to us, they knocked on the door to see if we needed anything. They opened the door and there's a bowl of gravy steaming on the table. The football game is going on the TV and the tree was blinking, right? Because we had systems in place and we didn't have to have the end of the world. We just had to have a really shitty ice storm. Those happen from time to time. So you have to look at this from a standpoint of not so much in preparing for the end of the world, but there are going to be a lot of things that are going to disrupt systems and support. And the question is, what's the duration and the intensity? Uh, no one thought that we would have massive disruption like we did with COVID until it happened. 
But have you noticed something about that, man? Have you noticed how people that reach out and say, you know what, you were right. You were, and they are like, I'm, as soon as we kind of went back to normal, immediate amnesia. Mm. Like they just write, like people that started to put some redundancy in their life, they just let it all go. Yeah, it's uh, it the medium tried to memory hole all that stuff. You know what I mean? They yeah. want to make uh, pretend like it never happened. That's why I think never, it's... nobody made you take the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no yeah. one made you. Well, no one made me because I work for myself. But Same, there's man. about a hundred million Americans that were threatened with loss of job mm. under an unconstitutional order that got shot down. But it didn't matter when so many people felt no choice and, and did it and then had injuries from mm. it. Uh, and now, like you said, they're trying to pretend it never happened. Yeah. Uh, that never happened. The real-time death counter at the beginning, remember that shit? Oh, and yeah, I would, yeah. people would get so triggered. You'd be like, where does that number come from? Just ask, And they start freaking out. I want to kill grandma or something, yeah, right? Yeah. Or they say, you know, wear these stupid masks. And you're like, this doesn't work on viruses. Yeah, yeah. Well, why yeah. do surgeons wear them? And you'd say... Well, because surgeons are concerned with open wounds and bacteria, and they work very good on bacteria. And then they get mad. Yeah, it's and, weird and that we don't understand the germ theory of disease after all this time, isn't it? Th that too. That, I'm, I'm letting that go. That's a, that's a whole other discussion we can have. There is, you know, we have this thing called an immune system. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think a point I'm making there was less the thing, though, than the place we're in society today, that the worst thing you can do to somebody that's addicted to this line of bullshit that they've been fed is give them facts that are counter to what they believe. You can give them something that's obviously not true and they don't get that mad, but you give them something definitive, true and sourceable, they get angry. And it's, it's what you call cognitive dissonance. The brain is in pain because it's latched onto this belief system. And like you said, they make these things that they do compulsory because logic will not make the case. Mm. If if all this stuff they said worked during that actually worked, they wouldn't have had to threaten anybody to do it. People would have done it on their own. That's correct. Yeah, that's a, the state to succeed must have absolute power over you, including your mind. Right. That's why dissent is always punished severely, even when actual crime is brushed aside and not punished. You know what I mean? You can yep. tell you can tell a lot about the motivation of an institution based on how it punishes and rewards things. And, and, and we're seeing this. Um, uh, uh, I wouldn't say people people like to think that we've flipped on crime recently, but that's not the reality of the situation. I mean, the, the state has always used um, crime and safety, things like the war on drugs and stuff just to control populations it had nothing to do with any kind of real. Uh, uh, safety for the for the American public. It's always been political, but now it's just very obvious what's going on. You know what I mean? And that's why I think, to your point from before, <clears throat> you know, from from the the mind of somebody who I guess is read in on this stuff, it isn't like you shouldn't be thinking about just preparing for one eventuality or another. But I do mm -hmm. think it's super helpful uh, to think about when you're when you're communicating to other people who aren't necessarily privy to this stuff. To, to think about specific cases of institutional failure. So I wrote one of, one of the papers I wrote uh, for my my my, uh, my master's was about the U.S. energy grid and what it might look like if it failed entirely. Right. Uh, and the numbers are pretty like I like to use that example because the numbers are pretty fucked up. It's like three million people die in the first month. Three million people die in the first month. Just old people, people on ventilators, sick people, whatever the fuck. They're, they're dead. CPAPs, all yep. kinds of shit. All those yeah. people are dead immediately. Within 18 months, somewhere between 70 and 80% of the population will be dead, right? And and that's because it depends on what time of year it is. If it happened in the winter, right, that would be particularly rough. And, you know, that that's provided everything stays the same. Now, granted, people will probably migrate 
further south leave some of the colder areas and stuff like that um but the number if you if you look at the data and the projections from what it might look like if our energy grid failed uh in modern life and by the way it isn't just about not being uncomfortably hot or cold it's about preserving food and people don't know how to do that anymore you know people don't people don't know how to make pemmican for example which is something that if you don't know anything else you should know how to do that it's relatively easy you can buy fucking really high quality wagyu tallow off amazon for like 30 bucks for a gallon of it i mean it's super easy to do this stuff um but anyways yeah i like to use concrete example like what are you going to do what are you and your family going to do if if there's no power for an extended period of time like well we've got candles I'm like you're fucking dumb dude like that's yeah. that doesn't even and candles and bottled water those are those are things you have to think in terms of things that, that you can that are uh, uh that are persistent. You know what I mean? Like that, that's a finite resource. That water is going to run out. Those candles are going to run out. Whatever else you've done around your house probably is going to run out. What do you, how, how do you become sustaining, right? You don't have to do it now. You don't have to get off the grid right now, but you need to have a plan if the grid fails. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, on the water thing, we have 3000 gallons of water catchment. Mm. Plus we have a pool, plus we have ponds, right? So we have a huge redundancy in water, but, but I agree with you on the standpoint of getting people onboarded by talking about specific instances the key though and this is really kind of a sales technique and you take it into that world get your prospect to tell you what's important to them mm. so it's almost inevitable that even the person that seems completely asleep to this has concerns they just don't like to talk about them because it doesn't feel good so if instead of giving them an example if you ask them well what do you worry about and you know like a doctor finds where it hurts and you push a little bit mm. more and it, so if that person's fear is an electrical grid failure, then then that's the shot in the ass they need to have a remedy and to take action in their life. Then you talk about that. If they're worried about financial collapse, well, then you talk about that. If they're worried about disease, then you talk about that. Um, but I just feel that it's hard to believe how few people take this seriously at this point because we saw how bad it got with well let's be honest it was a bad cold mm-hmm. but yeah. it wasn't the disease that caused the problem it was the way the state responded to it and showed its incompetence and aptitude at a level that i was even shocked by um but the supply chain disruptions i mean this life went back to normal a year ago at least no matter where you lived here in texas it went back to normal about 60 days after it started mm-hmm. we just decided we're not participating in this we're opening our restaurants and our business we're going back to life we still had supply chain inbound supply chain issues some of my favorite restaurants still have things not on the menu that went away during this stupidity um so we you you have to understand that precarious place that we're in and you know look at employment too like i don't think people fully appreciate what's going to happen with automation and ai over the next five years and it's not the next 10 years it's not the next 20 years it's here and it's already beginning and the people most at risk they're not plumbers and pipe fitters and roughnecks they're knowledge workers and, and it's not like they're going to get rid of all of them, but I played with it enough. I believe you better understand the threat. So I, and if my enemy has a weapon, I want one too, mm. right? So if my enemy's going to use AI, I want to be able to use it. And the productivity increase that it'll give you just with doing things for show prep as a podcaster is insane. And all I can do is think if, you know, back in my, the days when I actually ran a, a, a typical business and I had a room full of 50 people I had to make payroll on every freaking month. And, and looking at them and going, I could take 50 people down to 20 or 15 by giving them these tools. 
if I would have not done it because I care about my people and I do, and I try to, but there'd be a point where if my competition's doing it, I have to, because what they're going to do is get rid of 70% of their people and the ones they keep, they're going to double their pay. And that means I'm going to lose my best people. I'm going to keep the people that I should get rid of. Mm. Machiavelli, right? You know, cruel when you should be kind, you end up, or kind when you should be cruel, you end up being cruel when you should be kind. This is going to happen. And it's going to take tens of millions of jobs away. And that's hard to get your head around right now because we're in the middle of a labor shortage, mm. you know, but it was, I don't know if you've ever watched the big short, but it's kind of the same type of thing. Well, nobody bets against this thing, but this is the time to bet against it. Um, this is gonna this is happening it's not even just gonna happen it's happening and it's in every space it's in coding you know people are learning how to do computer coding now that never learned a line of code in their life well that also means a lot of coders aren't really necessary anymore mm -hmm. so even a lot of like remember they said learn to code i don't know how well that's gonna work out for some people unless they're the best of the best at it and so we have threats pulling at us from every angle we are in you know people talk about the fourth turning and that's an interesting thesis, and I think there's some validity to it. But I think what we are in is the most massive shift of technology in, hu in, in human history. Like, there has never been a shift like this. If, it's analogous to what happened in the period between about 1850, just before the Civil War, up to about 1920. That 70-year period, if you had taken somebody in 1850 and transported them to 1920, the world didn't even look the same. Now take that much flux and change, shove it into 10 years. And we're living through that. And, and when you do that, you can't help but have both amazing opportunities and extensive negative consequence. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are gonna get steamrolled by this and this whole attitude, you know, I st try to stay out of politics because I think the macro of politics is stupid at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but there is this whole idea, we're going to fight it, we're going to put it back coming off the conservative side. We're going to, I don't know if it's reelect the orange man or it's going to be get, you know, somebody like the sand, whoever is going to save us. This is like trying to stop a millstone. Back in the day where you had a couple Clydesdales turning a millstone around, grinding grain down at the bottom of this pit, and you're going to get down in there and you're going to try to stop that stone. You're going to get wiped out. Mm. We're going to have to embrace what's happening to a degree, even the parts of it we don't like, and adapt and overcome, to quote an old phrase, right? Mm. Because if you don't, you're going to get steamrolled. And that means that every individual has to come up with their own unique designed solution. So I run everything I do off 12, what I call them 12 tenets of modern survival. And tenet 12 is your plan is more important than mine. Because if I give somebody rules to follow, for preparedness instead of guidance. They'll follow it right up to the first one they don't agree with and they'll wash out. And it, it happens all the time. So I don't know how much money you have. I don't know how much money you make. I don't know what tools you have. I don't know what skills you have, how many kids you have, you know, what's the state of your, your parents gone and you have to worry about them or are they living in, a, in, a, in an elder care facility? Every person's situation is unique. So you have to, again, assess the needs that you have. What are your reliances on the system? And how, how do you build redundancy in there? Storing food is a great start, but it's only one thing. Like you mentioned medical care earlier. If you don't have, know how to handle basic medicine, like you're going to have real problems at some point in this flux. And we have to look at it again. I think there's a lot of ex-military that are overconfident. Mm -hmm. 
Because what we learned in the military for medical care was, how do I keep this dude alive until a helicopter comes? Right, yeah, yeah. How do I get this person to the next level of care? Well, in a grid down scenario, there is no higher level of care. It doesn't exist. That's why I have a group I call my expert counsel for my show, different professionals that take questions on things. And, and one's a dude calls himself Doc Bones. Uh, Joe Alton's his actual name. He has a book that's specifically designed for this. You could probably beat somebody to death with it because it's written by a physician for layman, and it goes into literally everything that can go wrong. Well, that's because, and it doesn't have to be forever. Think about what I said about the ice storm. We were we were pretty much shut down for nine nine days on power, but it was impossible to leave without severe risk to your life for about five of those. You're in a medical emergency in that situation. It doesn't matter that you'll be able to get there in five days. Dead is dead, as you know, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to, to to provide the highest level of care possible. And there's there's we can do more than people have been led to believe. I mean, every single thing that's done in the world that's regulated, they've convinced you that you have to be some kind of magic person to be able to do it. You can't teach the second grade without a master's degree in education. No. Right. That's so it's the same with medicine. And then a big part of that is how healthy are you? Right. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we have the obesity rates have gone insane. Um, there's more type two diabetics than any time in history. It's a completely reversible condition. It's not even really a disease. It's a dietary based illness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but have you and you will now if you hadn't how many dialysis clinics there are popped up everywhere there's like fast food chains and, and why do you think that is that's not because all of a sudden people's kidneys started failing for no reason the number one cause of kidney damage today is type 2 diabetes because type 2 diabetes damages all of the small blood vessels that's why you have finger and toe problems but kidneys need a lot of those small blood vessels mm. so we need to we need that's the education we need to be teaching people how to take care of yourself how to educate yourself how to develop skills yeah, you know, sure. I, I go full on. I mean, take your kids out of public school if you can. That's that's the indoctrination center of the world uh, is the public school system. And it's a, re- it's a relatively out. new, uh, as far as human beings go, as human civilization goes, it's a relatively new thing, right? I mean, it started at the beginning of the 20th century, really. Most of the most of the schooling was done. Um, like, y- you would learn basic shit at home and then go for more advanced things inside of a classroom kids didn't spend yeah. eight or kids didn't spend 12 years in the in the middle part of the 19th century. They, they didn't spend 12 years going to school for eight hours a day nine months out of the year that's nonsense right um uh but it's it's almost like just a daycare facility at some point than yeah. than anything else and and a daycare facility run by lunatics as well now <clears throat> well, it's the number one reason that people tell you they can't do it because they can't take care of their kids. Right. Yeah. So that's what you're saying. You know, you're paying thousands of dollars a year for daycare to the sure. state. That's yeah. I mean, yeah. essentially that's it, but I would rather, I mean, I was a latchkey kid. I would rather my kids be at home by themselves digging shit up and breaking stuff than, than being indoctrinated by lunatics. Um, Agreed. Uh, but decentralization is usually the solution to any kind of bureaucratic failure. I mean, I guess the question is, what does it look like in the modern world? Because there there are groups of people that are wholly unprepared for this stuff. Um, and there are groups, you know, like you mentioned, the veteran community is probably a little overconfident about it. I'm not I don't think the local community is going to need another coder or writer or whatever soft skill job you do. 
Um, but I do think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So if you're, whether you think something like this is likely or whether you think the scope of it is going to be limited or large, it is, you, you probably should look at uh, something like Maslow's hierarchy and figure out a way to solve one of those problems well, like become an expert in one of those things, yep. you know, be, be a polymath and everything, but become an expert in one of those things. And then, you know, look at something like the 12 tenets of modern survival and, and uh, maybe do the same, right? L learn a little yep. bit about a lot, but probably spend a little more time on one particular thing. And that's where these communities come in handy, where you can, everybody kind of gets an assignment, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, if any of your folks out there listening need a little more impetus to take this seriously, here's here's an example. No one's talking about this. There was a huge building boom in the in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s. And we build houses today with just garbage for construction materials. The, the house that I grew up in in Pennsylvania has oak beams in it. You can't get a nail into them. They were just built in the 1800s. Um, it's like stone now. These, these houses we build today, they're designed to fail. And they generally, if they're not well-maintained, will enter kind of a maintenance crisis mode at about 25 years where it's not that one thing needs to be done. The roof needs to be done. The siding needs to be done. There's foundation problems, et cetera. Well, all of those homes that were built during that building boom of the 90s are all hitting the age. And because we now build everything at the same time, they develop a subdivision over one to two years. All the houses implode with all of these maintenance things at the same time just so happens to be coinciding with record high inflation and uh, record high failure of wage to meet that inflation and record high restrictions on neighborhoods where you can't do things like put a tiny house in your backyard and rent it out or rent out a room and have multi-tenant and things like that. Because historically, that's what people would do when they were short on money. You rent a room or you do something entrepreneurial to, 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 to fill that gap. So we're looking at a lot of neighborhoods that when people moved into them, you know, over the years, these were not, this is not, this is not the ghetto or something. These are nice neighborhoods that are all hitting this critical mass and we don't have the money to fix them. There's so much money that's been poured into these for no good reason. Have you ever wondered why a cul-de-sac is so big? There's $60,000 worth of concrete and macadam in a cul-de-sac. So the biggest fire truck made could turn around in a cul-de-sac. Right. This is the kind of decisions that have been made, and we're now kind of hitting the end of this cheap money, easy fix. We'll just finance it and refinance it. Then you've got the retirees hitting record numbers. you got people that are basically not even doing their job anymore, but they're still employed. They call it quietly quitting. Mm. We've got this, like, it's not a crisis. It's these, like, crisis on top of crisis on top of crisis. But you're right. Like if I'm in a place where the neighborhood's falling apart, once people can't just throw away their house and move, because that's where we're headed, because that's what happens to these neighborhoods, right? They start to decline. The guy moves out. He either dumps it on the next sucker or he keeps it and he starts renting it. And that whole neighborhood will go on decline. And I'm sure you've seen places like you're driving around one block and the houses are all kind of jinky looking and, you know, not so nice. It's not terrible. They're not on fire. But maybe there's a junk car in the driveway and it just looks real redneck for lack of a better term. You go two blocks over and it's beautiful. That's how these subdivisions always implode. They start and once they start, it's like a thread pulling out of a towel. It just keeps going and it just keeps going. That's about to happen everywhere. Mm. I mean, that's 
while we lose reserve status of the dollar probably over the next 15 years. And then just everything else, the food supply, you're going you're gonna to own nothing, eat the bugs, and be happy. Mm. That's part of the plan there, too. It's the king's uh, deer, right? I think, I think that's yeah. bigger than... Uh... I think that's bigger than just societal decay. I think that whole bug thing is is the the English king's deer bullshit. Like the good meat belongs to us, the aristocratic class. Oh, yeah. You guys eat dirt. Fuck you. No, yeah. When they're telling you you need to eat all these insects to save the planet and live on a plant-based diet, they're not. There was there was like, covered this like 12 years ago, there was this judge that in a case about raw milk, wrote in his decision that you did not have a right to choose what you put in your body. Mm. Turned out, dude owned his own cow. And about six months after he issued that decision, he resigned his judgeship and he went to work as a lobbyist for Monsanto. And uh, nobody goes to yeah. jail for this. I mean, that, right? sound, that sounds like pretty much every former... Um... <laughs> government employee or certainly yeah. certainly every former executive level like other than i think hegel every former secretary of defense that's still alive works for a consulting company that consults with foreign militaries like saudi arabia sometimes china sometimes yeah. russia right i mean this, this is real stuff that's happening and think of how messed up the mentality is of our people so you know, all this pride crap just happened, and I got nothing against anybody. You want to be gay, be gay. Go mm -hmm. be as gay as you want. Leave kids alone and, and be happy. Mm -hmm. But the lunatics, I saw a video with all their crazy hair and shit marching, carrying a pride banner with Raytheon's logo on it. Yeah, yeah. Come on. You're talking about a company that sells weapons to Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. who throws people off of roofs for being gay. But... We're going to fight back in the United States over people not being nice to gay people with Raytheon on our side. Well, that's the problem with fundamentalism, right? They have no sense of irony. Everything yeah. has to be 100% true all the time for them in their little worldview. It's what uh, I, I feel like I quote this too much, but it's in the last paragraph of 1984 in the end, the party would say two plus two equals five, and you'd have to believe it because the logic of their position demanded it. What that means is that objective reality is not reality what i say mm -hmm. as the state is reality and you have to accept that otherwise that's a problem for us right we're not going to be able to handle that um and i think that that's the that is the essence of fundamentalism there's no room for discourse in there and it's because well, liberty is a very dangerous thing to people that want to control others but they're more sophisticated with it than the brutal nature of a book like 1984 right mm -hmm. so what you do is it's the same way they work a spy. You get them to give you something that it really isn't illegal, but it's a favor. And you start forming that relationship and you get them to give you something that really isn't illegal, but he probably shouldn't have. And you create a sense of obligation, little steps at a time to where you end up in control of the situation. So they take these people and they make a preposterous statement like a man can have a baby. <laughs> well, once they get those people to believe that, they will defend things they wouldn't have defended prior to mm -hmm. adopting that right like you know that we can have men and women's sports and not damage females uh opportunities it's a <laughs> but once you've said that men can have well you can't go backwards now mm -hmm. what they've done is they've gotten these people to take so many steps in their direction that even when the absolute absurdity is per presented next, you tie the absurdity into something that's already been taken in as part of this person's persona, and they have to believe it because not believing it 
then takes that whole worldview and causes mm -hmm. it to collapse. Yeah, no one will fight harder to preserve a lie than people who have wasted their lives believing it. That is an yeah. absolute fact. Yeah, you know the boiling frog analogy? Mm -hmm. I've seen people literally get pissed off at me for pointing out it's just an analogy and it's not true. If you put a frog in a pot and you start turning up the temperature long before that frog dies, it tries to get out. Mm -hmm. Reptiles and amphibians thermoregulate. You know who gets upset about it? The person that stood in front of a room and used that analogy a hundred times in their life. <laughs> Even when you're giving a completely rational explanation as to this doesn't work this way. By the way, mm. the MythBuster guys proved it was a myth, right? So, they, but but the more you've said it, and the more you've based on it, and we all have to be cognizant of that. I found myself defending some things that weren't crazy, but they turned out to be wrong. And you have to step back and say, wait a minute, am I wrong here? But we've conditioned people that if you if you step back and say you might be wrong, you're not loyal <laughs> to your yeah, side. Yeah. I'm sure you deal with this. I'll save something. And I'll get attacked as a left-wing lunatic and a right-wing lunatic for saying the same thing oh, yeah. at uh, the same time by two different people. And it's that's a divided house that that, that we're not going to get through this clean. No, that's it's not like our side's going to win and it's all going to be better. This is going to be one of the messiest transitions in sure. history. I don't have a side, by the way, and I don't think you well, do either. My side is... I have a, well, humanity. Yeah, humanity my side is human side, beings. Right? Human beings yeah. surviving, thriving, and having the best opportunity to live good lives and be happy and shit. That's my side. I don't give a fuck about these politicians. Um, I, I don't either. Now, I will say that in general, it's easier to get along with conservatives than, than the people that call themselves liberals. I don't even consider them liberals. Mm. Uh, classic liberalism is so divorced from this nonsense and so the conservatives too. I mean, you got neo libs and neo neocons, right? That's sure. what you have now. And mm. for those unaware, neo means new. That's what it means. That's why the dude in the Matrix was called Neo. It's new. It's mm. a reboot, right? So the, this, and what they've done is they've combined to form a perfect version of economic fascism. Mm -hmm. I know people get mad at me for saying that too. We live in a fascist society. And they, well, we're not Nazis and we don't put, that's what a group of fascists did. You know, the government of Spain up until the 70s was a fascist mm -hmm. government by declaration. They didn't put anybody in gas chambers. Mussolini wasn't throwing uh, one particular group in the, in the concentration camps. And he was a yeah. fascist. They, fascist. They, they almost just won again. I mean, it was close, but they almost just won again in Spain uh, last week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, say what you want about israel and liberalism throughout history but netanyahu's going hard fascist right now and i don't yeah. i don't think people actually know what the word fascist means the collaboration no. between uh government and business and shit like that i don't think they understand that you know what i mean people think of fascists yeah. like oh that's hitler that's mussolini well those are two very different people you know what i mean first of all you should yeah. you should understand the lives of both mussolini and hitler neither one was a particularly good guy but they there, there's levels of goodness right like you yeah yeah and, and and badness too, yeah, yeah, yeah right like so yeah. Yeah, what you're describing really is is that we we have so divorced ourselves from understanding what fascism means that we we can't see when it's right in front of our face, and they rebrand it mm -hmm. and they call it something like it's a public private partnership. Right. Yeah. But oh, it, so but it's here's fascism. but here's the right? here, here's what a public private partnership looks like in reality. Um, large conglomerate home builders continue to raise prices of raw materials and construction and land that they purchase because they're selling, they're purchasing land and then selling it third party. Essentially. Um, they continue to raise those prices to a point where let's say both parents now have to work full-time jobs and there's no chance of a, of one of the parents staying home and taking care of the kids, or you have to get yourself into a 30 year mortgage. This is not, 
this has not been the case through all of human history. You didn't Mm -mm. spend your entire life paying for your home at at any point through human history until about 60 years ago, right? This is the, in, in, let's say 1950, uh, in the middle 1950s, you could buy uh, the, I think the average cost of a new home was about $9,500. I think something like that. And and that was like a fucking three bedroom, single family home. Now, if you buy a three bedroom, single family home in the, in the cheapest parts of the country, you're spending fucking $180,000. Now we've, we've definitely got some inflation going on, but it's not 2000% inflation. You know what I mean? Like these, these costs relative to income are completely bananas and it's all been manufactured that way with intent, right? To keep you like, think, think about if you want to, if you want to deny somebody economic freedom, the best way to do it is to tie one of those things on the lower part of Maslow's hierarchy of needs to lifelong debt. That's the way to do it because then people start making decisions like, well, I've got to participate in the CBDC because if I don't, I'm going to lose my home. And that's a, you're putting people in a situation where they have to choose between uh, a principal and staying alive. You know what I mean? And even if they paid the house off, they have to pay their property taxes in whatever form the government says that you have to pay your property taxes. Right. Right. So even just owning a home is not a complete way out of there. But this all really goes back to 1971. In 71, we completely decoupled from what was left of the gold standard. And if you you have these periods of more dramatic inflation, less dramatic inflation, et cetera, throughout 71 up to 2023. But if you actually look at it, it's a it's really a straight line when you throw an aggregate average on it. And it it really hadn't changed at all across time until recently and it's begun to hook up and it's related to so many things that we've been talking about and people don't realize it because it doesn't seem like it should be so if you go back and look at when obesity rates exploded in the united states it was 1971. if you go back and look at when personal debt exploded in the united states it was 1971. if you go back and look at when the number of lawyers exploded it was 1971. if you look at the number of administrators in education it was 1971. If you look at the cost of health insurance going parabolic, it was 1971. How many people were living on seed oils? 1971. Once you went into a full fiat system, then you're going to get garbage everywhere. A garbage diet, a garbage agricultural system. What's his name? Was it? uh, I can't think of his name now. The the ag commissioner that came in the 70s and told everybody, go big or go home. That was just basically, hey, we're rah-rahing the industrialization of the food supply. Um, and it, it doesn't make any sense. Why would type two diabetes be coupled to hard money becoming complete full fiat mm. until you step back in game theory, look at it. And it's because everything becomes nothing but a money manipulation game. And you're right. It is fascism. And if you look at anything, the government touches with fascism, the expense of it goes up exponentially. Look at student loans. Well, every child should go to college. I heard that crap in the eighties. I'm sure you did mm-hmm. too. And everybody has to go to college and just take a loan and don't worry about it because you'll make the money back. The government backs the loans. The bank makes a killing on them. but And then they protect the lender by saying it can't even be discharged in a bankruptcy. And you have an 18 or 17-year-old kid signing a loan today for $100,000 or more, and they have no idea how they're ever going to pay that back. And they're not even worried about it because when you're 17, you do what you're told to a large degree. I mean, I did, and you seem like the kind of guy that didn't. But the average, especially, you know, quote, unquote, good kids, mm-hmm. right? They follow rules. They've been trained to follow rules their whole life. And so the cost of education has gone through the roof. Well, the value has gone through the floor. 
what makes something valuable to some degree is how rare it is. Mm -hmm. So back when I was in the corporate world, we ran a recruiting firm. I had like 50 employees and 2,500 contractors around the world. And I was talking to a guy at a technology business council, part of the Chamber of Commerce up in Richardson, Texas. And he said that they were hiring a bunch of CSRs to do phone work. And I said, that's really, you know, we usually do more technical recruiting than that, but, you know, maybe we could do something with him. And he, I said, what are your requirements? Good communication skills, you know, a job history that shows that they're not going to get in fights or, you know, you know rob a bank and uh, typical stuff, computer skills, et cetera, and a college degree. Mm -hmm. And I said, what the hell would you possibly need a college degree for to answer the phone and basically read a parts manual to somebody? Right. His reasoning wasn't, oh, we're looking, this is an upwardly mobile thing and we want good candidate. No, it was, there's so, this is almost 20 years ago. There's so many people with them. We might as well require it because at least we know they can complete what they start. That's what $100,000 back then bought you. At least we know you can complete what you start. You can't do this with a fiat, without a fiat monetary mm -hmm. system. You can't, it can't be there, done. There, there has to be some level of external leverage to, to, yeah. to, to funnel people into that kind of stupid bullshit. Because otherwise people would opt out pretty, pretty regularly. You know what I mean? Which, by the way, would have the intended benefit of a free market, which is that the degree would be rarer. There would be competition yeah. on pricing for the degree itself, blah, blah, blah. All the reasons that a free market is a good thing, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's, you're, you're right. At any time the government gets involved in something, it, it's completely fucked. So um, before, we got to get out of here, but tell me, yeah. uh, give me, give me the short version of this idea of permaculture and what it means exactly. So permaculture was founded by two gentlemen, one named David Holdrum, the other one named Bill Mollison. Both of them are Australians. And it was the idea of looking at living natural systems and emulating them by working with nature instead of against it. And thereby to produce everything that humans need. People think it's just about agriculture, but it's about housing. It's, you can even use permaculture principles in the design of a business. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a prime directive and three ethics. And the prime directive is the only ethical decision is to be responsible for our own needs and that of our children. And it's a multi-generational when we say children, and it's not like socialist collectivism, meaning all the children we make excuses for, our own prodigy. We need to set up systems that see to meeting their needs. And then the ethics were derived from various indigenous cultures and they tried to distill it down to pretty much you know, the people in Papua New Guinea and the Native Americans and uh, Native people on the Maasai Plain all had these in common. And it was number one that you care for the earth. We only get one of these, so let's not damage it. Mm -hmm. At least let's minimize the damage wherever we can. And then care of people. So if you're hurting people with it, it ain't permaculture. And then the last one is referred to as return of surplus. It's the one that got politicized. But what it's about is making sure that we are limiting how much we take out of a system. Uh, I have a three-acre little duck farm here. I run a couple dozen ducks on it. Back when I was doing it commercially, I ran about 150. Mm. It worked just fine. But I can't put a 1,000 of them out there. There's not enough land to support that. So I have to limit how much I take from that land. I can't go to an extraction model. And be, and be permaculture. And then we see the greatest teacher that man knows uh, here on earth anyway is the forest. Mm -hmm. So we derive everything that we do by observing and interacting and looking at what are the lessons of the forest. 
you go and you look at a forest, it's immensely productive. Nobody tills the soil. Nobody fertilizes it, right? Everything finds a balance eventually. And it finds a balance eventually by being able to go through a process called secession, where we take a very young woodland and eventually it becomes a very mature forest. And we'll harness that for food and fiber and medicine production. And kind of the crown jewel of permaculture is building what we call a food forest. And what we do with that is we actually use specific techniques to stack in space in time and accelerate secession. So trees drop their leaves, that makes new soil. So we overplant an area. We'll overplant an area and we'll put a lot of trees in that are like nitrogen fixing trees, legumes like locust or what have you. And then every year that stuff gets caught and dropped to the ground and cut and dropped to the ground. And by the time that forest matures, let's say in 15 to 20 years, instead of a hundred, a whole lot of those trees will have died, right? Because a forest grows on a fallen forest and we're accelerating that. And that's one piece of permaculture. We can talk about rotational grazing. Uh, there's, there's just a myriad of things that we can do. And I would be remiss because we did talk a little about the vegan crap and all. The most ecologically resilient and, and sustainable thing that we can do to produce food for humans is grazing animals in properly managed systems. Mm. A cow eats grass, it fertilizes the grass, and the grass grows back. Mm. Uh, it sequesters more carbon than just about any other thing that we can do to produce food. We don't have to wipe out millions of acres every year and kill all life on it to reboot a system of annuals. And so we're very much into the perennials, grazing systems, small livestock for the homeowner, et cetera. And that's, if somebody goes to my site, the survivalpodcast.com and just use the search function and put in permaculture, we've covered just about everything you can do. With sure. It. Yeah. Well, so uh, we definitely got to get out of here now. So tell me where uh, we can find you, right? Sure. And all, all your stuff. And then uh, specifically for this permaculture thing, if it, if not just from your website, can you tell me where else people can find information on this? Because I think it's really interesting. Sure. Okay, so my website is thesurvivalpodcast.com. You can also just go to tspc.co and it'll redirect you there. Uh, again, just searching permaculture on my site will give you not just everything I've talked about it with it, but I've had hundreds of guests over the years that are experts in specific areas of this. I would say that if you want to go outside of my realm uh google permaculture news and that's the permaculture research out of uh, institute out of australia jefflawton.com uh, would be another really great website and geo not j-e-f-f-g-e-o version of jeff lawton uh jeff is one of my greatest mentors he's probably the uh the best permaculture designer on the planet right now uh, he's kind of the guy that Bill handed the empire down to. Or check out David Holgram. Uh, those would be another good name to uh, Google or check out on YouTube. And YouTube is full of it. Uh, there's tons of stuff there. I would just caution you, no one owns or controls the word permaculture, which is good, mm. and it can also be bad. So there's a lot of people claiming that they're teaching permaculture. Know a little bit about the source of what you're being told and uh you know look look for people that have actually done something that actually have productive systems uh he doesn't really call himself a, a permaculturist curtis stone is another fantastic resource you can find uh the work that he's doing on youtube he's up in uh 
uh, British Columbia or Alberta. I don't remember which one, but he's a fantastic resource to learn about producing your own food, building community, et cetera. And if you guys ever want to just go into just that, let me know. I'm happy to come back and we can dig into some of these uh, specific uh, permaculture techniques and overall design science. We will do that for sure at some point because uh, uh, I'm, you know, building sust- this, this word of sustainability has been kind of captured by people who are building completely unsustainable things. Yeah. Uh, and not just unsustainable, but poison. They're, they're just producing, they're mass producing poison for people to eat right now, which is hilarious in a way because it's just so fucking far away from the reality oh, of the situation. It, it's awful. Um, we shouldn't be using the word sustainable, by the way. Mm. Sustainable is another gentleman that's pretty well known in the permaculture space named Paul Wheaton says is barely hanging on by the skin of your your, your teeth. Mm. That's sustainable, barely keeping the plate spinning on. What we try to do with permaculture is actually to be regenerative. Mm. So the soil on a given place being managed with permaculture shouldn't just be as good next year as it was last year. It should actually be better. Right. And production across time should go up while the required inputs should go down. And we have thousands of examples of systems built like that. I have them in my backyard. And, uh, you know, it's not exactly the easiest place to do things, especially this time of year. It's 108 today. Yeah, no kidding. So if we can do it here, you know, you get into a real temperate climate, like like a USDA zone six, like Virginia, Pennsylvania, like that type of climate mm. type. And there's no reason we can't feed ourselves right here in America. Sure. Well, look, man, I appreciate you coming today. This has been a great conversation, really interesting points, uh, stuff for people to look into later, hopefully improve their lives a little bit. and force the government out of it so thanks for coming man i appreciate it thank you yes sir thank you all for listening to this has been citizen what's so special about hero bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.